Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash picture lock. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Picture Lock on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Welcome to another episode of the world-famous award-winning show. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, filmmaker, film festival director, film critic, film publicist, and lover of film and TV. You can find all the back episodes and so much more at PictureLockShow.com. Ladies and gents, this is it. The 2018 DC Black Film Festival Call for Entries is now open and filmmakers can submit through Film Freeway. The late deadline ends next week, May 31st, so be sure to get your film in because I will not be making this announcement anymore on the show until next year when we do year three. (laughs) But make sure that you get your film in before that deadline of May 31st. And to help out, you can use discount code DCBFFDISC25 for 25% off your entry fee. Visit DCBFF.org for more details. A couple of weeks ago, I had a bunch of filmmakers from the 2018 DCAPA Film Festival talk about their films, and somehow I let one interview slip through the cracks. So I have my interview with Vivi Nguyen of Starbucks Lovers that I think you'll enjoy. Vivi, I'm so sorry. I don't know how that happened. But guys, you'll be able to hear that interview today. Also, I have the director, producer of Hermione Granger and the Quarter Life Crisis, Eliana Amira Yisrael. We talk about how she took her love for fan fiction into creating the cool web series. And finally, I have my colleague from the North Carolina Film Critics Association, Douglas Davidson, dropped by to talk about his site, Elements of Madness, and we nerd out on other film stuff. That's all ahead on Picture Lock. Hi, this is writer-director Jeannie Donahoe of Game, and you're listening to Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. And imagine on the day you turn 18, you are given the first words your soulmate will speak to you. But what's a guy to do when he receives the words, welcome to Starbucks, can I take your order? I have the co-writer, producer, and star of Starbucks lovers, Vivi Nguyen. Vivi, welcome to Picture Lock. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Vivi, the first question I always start out with is, when did you first fall in love with film? Oh my gosh. Uh, (laughs) Well, I'm an only child, so I was always watching TV or watching a movie or reading books. And so uh, I, well, I guess my distinct memory with film is I remember watching The Secret Garden and just being so moved and uh, as a kid watching it and it made me cry. And I I remember thinking that was crazy that something I was watching on on screen could, could affect me so much. And I think that was a big influence but yeah I've always loved film and just how it gets you to think differently and um, it's just a cool medium to communicate information yeah yeah most definitely 
you know, if you could, just give us a backstory in terms of how you got started in the industry. Okay, so my original goal was always to be an actor. I thought it was super cool just that you could become different people. Um, so my parents, though, are very traditional Vietnamese parents. and They were actually refugees from the Vietnam War. So um, they really didn't want me to be an actor. Um, so they didn't really encourage it growing up. And it wasn't until I went to college that I was like, I need to do it now. Otherwise, it's going to be too late. Uh, so I kind of hit the ground running there. And then uh, filmmaking was something I just kind of fell into. Because as an actor now, you really kind of have to make your own stuff, make your own material. And so actually, Starbucks Lovers was my first foray into filmmaking. And I have a deep, deep appreciation for all filmmakers out there now because I'm so used to just showing up on set and, and being done, you know, doing my lines and I go <laughs> right. home at the end of the day. But now this was like, nope, got to stick around, got to be there for the editing process, the, the sound design process. So yeah, I mean, I'm hooked, but it's so much more work than than I had ever imagined. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's so funny because um, part of the reason... I got behind the camera um, in, in terms of like when I went to grad school and stuff was because I think you get to tell more of the story versus being uh, a part of the story and a cog in the machine, as I like to say. Yeah. But it yes. is a world of a difference. Very much so. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool, though, to, yes, have that control and to do what you want to do, clearly, because you've got into it for a reason and you want to tell stories. Yeah, exactly. And that's what it's all about. It's Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, and I'm talking to the producer and star of Starbucks Lovers, B.B. Nguyen. So, B.B., <laughs> if you could, uh, just let the audience know, in your own words, what is this story about, or the film? Ooh. Well, you kind of gave it a really good synopsis of it at the top. But, yeah, it's set in this universe where, on your 18th birthday, you get a slip of paper that has your soulmate's first words to you. And they could be absolutely anything. Um, but our protagonist has gotten the words, welcome to Starbucks, can I take your order? Which puts him in this really difficult situation of, well, any Starbucks I walk into, the barista is going to say that to me. Are they my soulmate? What does this all mean? So <laughs> we uh, open with him ranting about his predicament and uh, what he's supposed to do in order to find his soulmate. So I got to ask, like, what inspired this? Because, you know, it's not that it's so random. I do think, like, this <laughs> this could be, like, a cool, um, you know, that kind of sci-fi uh, Black Mirror-esque episode. Um, but, like, what inspired <laughs> this concept? <laughs> Especially, you know, uh, the welcome to Starbucks thing. Because, again, you can fall into the trap of, like, just in avoiding all Starbucks. Um, yes. But then at the same time, like, uh, you know, what are the chances, you know, that the one will come through? <laughs> yeah. So we wanted to really present that situation. And uh, I hope everyone who comes to watch can see what happens. But uh, the idea, actually, of all things, came from Reddit. And if you haven't heard of Reddit, it's this news aggregator uh site that also has community forums and so there's one actually called writing prompts and on it it's just basically people posting ideas for for stories that they'd like to see made and it's a whole forum for writers to be inspired and find um, new ideas to 
to work with. And so someone actually just kind of threw it up there. I'm not going to claim credit for it, actually. Uh, so someone threw it up there. And my co-writer, Chad, he wrote this lovely story that ended up being uh, the base of, of what the film ends up being. I actually didn't know Chad at all. I just was a subscriber to this forum. And I read his story. And I thought it was gorgeous. And I am a big sucker for romance and also sci-fi. And it kind of just captured a little bit of of, of both of those elements. So I wrote to him being a total stranger. And I was just like, hi, I am an actor in Los Angeles. <laughs> I, I, I love this story. I think it needs to be put on the screen. Would you give me permission to adapt it? And he, he wrote back very quickly. He was like, wow, I wasn't expecting a response like that, but yes, please let's do it. And so I uh, ended up taking it and adapting it to the screen. Some things got changed, um, but yeah, we've been collaborating together and then we made the piece that, got into the festival <laughs> yeah you know i i think that it is uh just kind of an interesting uh you know concept and at the same time it, it does touch on you know we're all kind of looking for love and so you know the main character well i wouldn't say we're all looking for love but i think in the <laughs> <laughs> but in the process of those of us that do or are looking for love um you know it's kind of the the insecurity and and loneliness sometimes of being by yourself and wanting to put yourself out there and exactly and and yeah so your your lead ryan uh really kind of is in that place of you know a little bit of bitterness but then at mm -hmm. the same time like you can tell that deep down underneath it all he does want that love can you talk a little bit about uh kind of putting the story together um, where you can see both sides of the coin. Ooh, so like the, are you talking about like the cynicism about the situation, but still the hope? Exactly. Oh, that was a difficult place to tread. Um, so the writing that Chad made definitely established a lot of that, but also the actor that we cast was a huge critical uh, part of the puzzle. Um, and actually during casting, we had to be very careful about who we chose to be our lead actor because the situation that this, this character is in, he's, he's so bummed that he can't, it's not easy for him to find a soulmate because we think that with this, with this system in place, oh, you have your soulmate's words? Now go and find them. It's super easy. But apparently it's not as straightforward as we all thought. So, uh, yeah, he's in a really tough spot. And so when we were doing casting, we had to really make sure we found someone who still was someone you would want to root for. And it was very much a trap we found that because it's a, it's a dialogue-heavy film and he carries a lot of the first third or two thirds of the film. And um, so we had to make sure we found someone that was likable and you, you, you know, you could tell that he hadn't yet given up on, on the hope of finding his love. So um, that was a big part of it. We were very lucky that we found Jake Matthews in the casting process. Who's fantastic. Uh, he was on the show wisdom of the crowd. Uh, I actually cast him before he got his series regular role. And that's like <laughs> that I, I had a part in that. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah. So he was fantastic. And so that was definitely a part of trying to find that balance. It's Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the producer and star of Starbucks Lovers, Vivi Nguyen. Uh, Vivi, unfortunately, we're kind of have to bring this to a close and wrap things out here. But uh -oh. I, I know, I know, right? <laughs> but you know what? I, I, let me throw in one, one more question, and then we'll just get the, the contact info um, and how people can follow you and stuff like that. Uh, okay. All right. 
So one of the things that I really appreciate is um, seeing people of color on the big screen. And uh, here in this film, you know, I think uh, it's a diverse cast. Uh, and by that, I mean, it, you can tell it's people of different ethnic backgrounds that make up this, you know, uh, romantic comedy. And so I just want to ask for you personally, like, what does that mean to you in terms of bringing Starbucks lovers to the big screen? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. Um, the nice thing I really liked about Starbucks, well, it's my film, I guess, but I, I really did want to just have people of color on the screen, but not make it a thing necessarily. I don't think we are, uh, the, it's ultimately a love story that anyone could have told, that any person, whatever you look like, could have fit the role. I obviously wanted to cast myself, and I'm an Asian American female, so that was check, checking that <laughs> diversity box off on accident. Right. Um, and then um, for the role of Ryan, our lead male, it kind of just was actually our director p played a part in that, in that he was like, you know, I want to see someone of color up here who can be a lead romantic character because you don't get to see that all the time. And so I really appreciated that he made that push. Um, but yeah, I, I did want to kind of just fill the world with, people I know in my own life that are just happening to be from different backgrounds. So that's just kind of how it all fell into it. But we're not putting it, we're not talking about it in the film. It just happens to be that we are all diverse. <laughs> it just happens to be that way. And that's how filmmaking should be. I've been talking with the producer and star of Starbucks lovers, Vivi Nguyen. Vivi, if you could, how can people follow you, follow the film online and social media? All right. Well, you can find me on Instagram, all the social media as Say La Vivi, uh, C-E-S-T underscore L-A underscore V-Y-V-Y. And we will eventually be releasing the film uh, online for everyone to see. Um, since it did originate from Reddit, we hope that uh, Reddit will embrace it and others can see it there. Uh, but for now, yeah, it's doing the festival run. That's awesome. Yeah, I think uh, after this interview, a bunch of filmmakers are going to run to Reddit and look up Writer's Comp. Was that what it was? Oh, writer, writing, uh, writing prompt. Writing <laughs> prompt. Yeah, that <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Like, it, you know, if you can find free ideas, then yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a really great resource. And even if you're just a writer who's having some writer's walk, it's a great place to just be inspired by ideas that people throw out there. There are really fun concepts from way sci-fi to just some standard middle of the road, you know, day-to-day -day story. Awesome. All right, Vivi, thank you so much for coming on Picture Lock. Thank you so much for having me. Let's take a quick break for promos. Stay tuned. Hey, everybody, I appreciate everyone that listens to the Picture Lock podcast. And for you, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. If you're like me, then it's been a while since you've sat down and read a book, but it hasn't been long since you listened to a podcast. In fact, you're listening to one right now. Why? Because you're able to be entertained, informed, or educated on the go. 
That's kind of how I like my books as well. With Audible.com, I can listen to Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces or Robert McKee's story when I'm in the mood for learning about the craft or Malcolm Gladwell's The Tipping Point when I'm trying to learn how to be a better influencer. The point is, a wealth of knowledge is at your fingertips. All you have to do is go to audibletrial.com slash picturelock for a free 30-day trial. It's that easy. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash picturelock for a free 30-day trial to Audible. What's up, guys? Thank you so much for listening to and supporting Picture Lock. I absolutely love film, as you know, and have given my life to studying the medium. As a filmmaker, I understand what it takes to make a film from its inception to the big screen. As a critic, I've been able to see the business of film from the marketing side of things. And as a film festival director, I've been able to see the distribution side, but more importantly, the enormous amount of talented filmmakers out there creating and crafting stories from their heart. And that's why I've started Picture Lock PR. If you're a filmmaker or producer looking to engage audiences and create relevance around your latest or upcoming project, head over to PictureLockPR.com. We can help you with your film's publicity from pre to post-production. Get more information and see the clients we've helped in the past at PictureLockPR.com. PictureLock PR. Finally, a partner as passionate as you. This is Erica Ginsberg, the Executive Director of Docs in Progress. Hey everyone, this is Desmond Jackson, Director of Funk Force. You are listening to Picture Lock with Kevin Sampson. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, and Hermione Granger and the Quarter Life Crisis is a web series about the brightest witch of her age tackling her greatest challenge yet, becoming a woman. I have the series creator and director, Eliana Amira Yisrael, on the line with me. Eliana, welcome to Picture Lock. Hi, thank you so much. Great to be here. Yes, it's great to have you. I can't wait to really kind of dig into this. Uh, But the first question I always start out with is, when did you first fall in love with film? So I actually, my, I fell in love with film in the fall of 2005. And I know that because it was my senior year of college and I took a single camera production class at my university, Chicago State, Chicago State University. Um, and it was the first time that I ever, and I'm from the South side of Chicago. It was the first time that I ever even thought anything about filmmaking or like where movies came from or anything like that. And I took the class kind of randomly because I needed an elective. Um, and like literally the first day, because I, I wanted to be in entertainment, but I didn't know exactly where. And I, you know, I thought it would be theater because that's big in Chicago, maybe music because I'm black. And you could, I, I could see myself in those two spaces. But I took that camera class and I was like, oh my God, I found it. And I was so happy. That's awesome. So, uh, so, so happy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for in terms of like filmmaking, did you grow up just like loving film or was it just like you said, something that you kind of fell into because it was elective that you needed and then you found out, wait a second, I really like this. Um, I grew up loving movies, but I just never, I grew up loving them, but I never, I think I just, I think it was just beyond my, my imagination that I could be a part of it, you know? So I, like I had some movies that I loved growing up. Um, I will say when I watched A League of Their Own, which came out in like 92, that was the very first time that I just wondered who did make movies. 
And then I, I think I just sort of quickly decided, you know, because you kind of know who Steven Spielberg is, and there was a few other directors you knew, and they were a very specific type of person, and, and it just seemed like such a far away bizarre thing. Um, so I loved it, but I never placed myself in it. It's interesting that you bring up a, a League of Their Own, um, especially Penny Marshall and just how she directs, you know, great, uh, strong female leads. And I think the same I thing. I know. The same thing with uh, your web series, which we'll get into in a second. But if you could, for the audience that's listening, like, how did you break into the industry? So obviously you just said that, you know, you um, took the course in college. Um, and then shortly after that, didn't you come up with the idea for the web series? Well, no, that was in 2005. That was like over 10 years ago. It was a long time ah. ago. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm an elder. So, but it's one of those things that I, because that was the first time that the seed was planted in my head of like telling stories visually and, and telling stories in, the, in the, the cinematic medium, you know, I think that um, it took time to learn like how to make films. And it took, you know, I took time to learn. I went to grad school for film. Um, I did some student films. I, you know, so I did all those things to learn the process of, I had to, I had to completely learn cinema from scratch, you know, at a early, at, when I was like 22, I think. So I took that time. Um, I did a few projects outside of school. I was always really clear that I wanted to direct that. I knew that much. And it's because like, I love to read and I knew that I wanted to be, I want, and I, and I always would envision my books. But again, I didn't know that what I was doing as a kid was directing. Cause I would like, I would love a book so much that if I loved it a lot, I would like get my dolls to act out different scenes. I would start thinking of like people that I loved in movies. So I wanted to play the parts. Like I was casting and like, you know, directing, I'm doing air quotes, directing little movies in my room when I was a kid. (laughs) I just had no idea that that's what it was. Right. You know? So I knew I was, I was really, really clear when I got into film that I wanted to direct. I want to see my story, but I had to learn the language of cinema. I had to take some time to like really understand what I was doing. Um, so I directed a few like short films, a few, you know, independent commercials, uh, two music videos. Like I was just kind of like looking for ways to, um, to, to keep myself directing and like looking for ways to get better at that. And then it was actually 2016 that I had the idea for this. So I'm a huge Harry Potter fan, a massive Harry Potter fan. And then around 2013, I started reading fan fiction. And that was when I first realized, you know, you could sort of create your own stories in these spaces of like established things that you love. Um, and I was having a moment myself that I was volunteering at Sundance Film Festival in January of 2016. And I was having like a low moment, if you will, uh-huh. <laughs> a really, really low moment. Um, and I was also reading a Hermione Granger fan fiction at the time. And then it just all kind of, I was on the bus on my way to a screening and it just, hit me you know like it all hit me at one time like that I that I was Hermione Granger in that moment and I had made the choices that I thought were good but that may not like but maybe I went on the wrong path and like sometimes it can be the girl with all the promise but it feels like it doesn't go anywhere um and I was like I should make a series about it and I especially thought that because I love coming of age stories and you don't really get a lot of those with like like black female characters coming of age on screen Mm mm-hmm and I just thought, oh, my God, I have to do a series about Hermione Granger coming of age. Like, if anybody is allowed to mess up a black Hermione Granger screwing up her life and, like, <laughs> taking the time to figure out what she wants from life. You know what I'm saying? Like, this girl who, like, 
everybody knows to be the smartest person on the planet. And I kind of feel like the same pressure that was on her a lot of times on like black women and black people that we have to be better than everybody else, you know? And I was like, but what if I could take that same person? And then like, she doesn't do that. <laughs> she messes up, right. you know? Yeah. So, so that was, that was that. Sweet. It's picture lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the creator and director of Hermione Granger and the Quarter Life Crisis, a web series, Eliana Amira Yisrael. Uh, you know, I, I think it's really interesting because you had a quote and it said, I can say that I think of being magical the same way I think of being black and that I always think about it and I never think about it. Um, and I think that kind of going into the web series as, as you know, you kind of just did. Um, that's one of the interesting things because when I first was kind of introduced to this content, I was like, wait a second, Hermione is black. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's one of those things where like, we don't see this very often. And in fact, um, uh, I was talking with filmmaker uh, Ted Adams about um, his film uh, and Within his film, it's about a young African-American uh, male uh, that's going over to Japan to play Othello. Um, and so he's trying to break into Japanese theater. And so this is kind of a conversation that we were just talking about in terms of, like, why can't, you know, you be of another ethnicity and play a role of, you know, said generally a white character? You know, many, t many times yeah. we get into the whole, like, you know, uh, whitewashing of different characters and things like that. But, like, why can't just great characters come to the forefront, no matter what character or, you know, color, and play those roles? Yeah. I, um, which it's funny because normally in cinema, I'm actually like, and this is really bad, but I'm so against colorblind casting in cinema, except, or no, I shouldn't say that. I'm against it when it's like you have one family that are like, like in Cinderella where Whoopi Goldberg and Victor Garber had given birth to this, like, Filipino kid. <laughs> right. I just, it, like, for some reason, things that are that are not actually possible on screen with no explanation, like, that there wasn't a way to make it possible, that bothers me, but I think on the stage especially. But at the same time, I think that you can do, but I think that we should be able to, like, place anybody in these roles that are typically white. And then you just build the world around that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, my, my only limit is that it has to be real. So, like, I wouldn't have made Hermione black but then all her family wasn't black. <laughs> but there's right. no reason why Hermione Granger can't and shouldn't be a black woman. Mm -hmm. No reason at all. So it's absolutely right. Like, we should. We have to do that, I think. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and I think we are kind of seeing that a little bit more now, especially with the conversation of diversity in film. But for the audience, like, if you could, in your own words, what is Hermione Granger and the Quarter Life Crisis all about? <laughs> okay. So in my words, um, Hermione Granger and the Quarter Life Crisis is really, really at the root of it. It's about a young black woman who has lived with the pressure to be perfect making the decision that instead of being perfect, she just wants to be happy and figuring out what that means for herself. You know, I think that that is really interesting, right? Because we all, I, I, I think, so you said you graduated, or it was 2005, I think was your senior year. That was the same for me in terms of undergrad. But um, so I think we all hit this like spot 
where you're kind of like trying to figure things out and figure life out. Right. Um, but then also like, I think for, I don't know about you, but for me is like also like disengaging the chains of like what America tells you you're supposed to do. Like the American dream to me right. is like one of the biggest lies ever, you know, like you can make it it's and all that. It's a total fallacy. Right. But like this chaining you to these student loans and all this stuff instead of like going after like what you're passionate about well we could get off subject but my point um coming back to this is it is cool to kind of see a character that has so much promise and potential that is taking the time to just figure out like what is actually going on with her own life you know yeah and i think that that's something that and i you know i, I can't speak for communities outside of my own but I do know that in our community, we don't really have, we don't really get those opportunities a lot. And we especially don't see it on screen very often, you know, because a lot of times there's pressure. Um, you know, you go to college and you have to get a job right after school. And I know that happens to everybody. But even like when I went to grad school, there were a, like most of my classmates in grad school, their parents were paying for their apartment. After grad <laughs> school, their parents paid for their apartment for a couple of years. They had money for food. Like, they, their parents were still able to provide for them right. until they're, like, mid to late 20s. And so it gave them time to stumble around. It gave them time to, like, try things out. Whereas most people I know have to become, from my community, have to be financially independent when they graduate high school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, when, at what point are you sort of, like, allowed to make mistakes? <laughs> right, right. In, in your mid twenties, like there, you know what I'm saying. You have a lot of responsibilities by then. And again, I know that that's what not that happens in other communities. I can just only speak for my own because I'm not a part of any other communities. Yeah, no. But I do know that in mine, I wanted to make sure that I could put some people on the screen that I was familiar with that were coming of age, that were making decisions, and that were like, you know, figuring out who and what they want to be. I think it's so important if you if you can do it, and it's a luxury to be able to do that. I actually did it, but I suffered a lot. Like I su- I suffered financially because I decided to do that, but it was a choice that I made, and I was okay with the struggle. Right, right. You know, I've had some. You know, I've had some friends that have actually done the same thing, just in terms of you know they saved up enough, took a sabbatical, and you know from there, you know they they were able to kind of be focused and they're doing pretty well right now, um, and which I think, uh, right. especially, like, and this kind of diverting a little bit, but with, like, Childish Gambino, This Is America video, uh, and, you know, I've just been watching some of his interviews lately around the discussion of, you know, can you be allowed to fail and, you know, learn from your mistakes and grow as an African-American person um, and you're you're right. I do feel like we don't have as much of an opportunity to, to do that. I know like when I was younger, my dad would always say that, you know, the older you get, the more you can't uh, make mistakes because obviously like right. you, you have to have some kind of nest egg, et cetera. So the greatest time to be able to do that is when you're young. But then, you know, and this isn't for everyone, but like you said, if you're going to or college and like you kind of have to be working three jobs while you're at, you know, university, um, you know, are you really able to make any mistakes? Are you really able to kind of try to figure out who you are? That's a good question. Yeah, it's a, it's a web series that's limited in, in terms of like resources and what we're able to do. But that's that's the goal. And that's what that's what I go into the show 
making sure that we can do is just put her, and, and it was a bonus that I was able to include all these other diverse characters around her that are kind of going through the same thing. The Indian girl, you got an Asian wizard, two black wizards, Hermione's cousin who's black, who's not a witch, a Latina girl. Like it, I was, That was the blessing that I was able to like add these other diverse characters who are also in their mid-20s and who also are kind of like stumbling around as well. Right. Yeah. And that's just awesome. It is. It is. It's Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the creator and director of Hermione Granger and the Quarter Life Crisis, Eliana Amira Yisrael. Uh, Eliana, if you could, like, what has the audience reception to the web series been thus far? Because I think um, it's it's really cool to kind of see a woman of color in fan fiction, uh, but you also have season two coming up. So if you could kind of talk about that. Uh, I think so. it's interesting because the people that do respect, the people that see the show, typically um, a lot of Harry Potter fans have mixed feelings about the show because it's a different tone from what they're used to. It's not an action adventure. It's coming of age. And it's characters that, you know, it's reminding a way they're not familiar with. And it's like providing who they barely paid attention to and a bunch of like new colored kids. <laughs> But the colored kids who watch this show and who love Harry Potter love, love, love this show. Yeah. And I'm kind of making it for us. We we love it. Right, right. Yeah, you know, I, I was just like, uh, the Taejun character, um, Pavardi. Like, I, now, granted, I'm not a big, you know, I don't know about Hogwarts. And, like, all I know is what I saw in the movies. I never read the books, nothing like that. Sure. But it was cool to see, like, you know, people of color in a well-rounded, diverse cast uh, just coming together and really kind of setting up this this uh, web series and story that you could really yeah. follow and relate to. Thank you. I'm, I, I love it. I'm really excited. We actually started filming season two last weekend, um, and it's been incredible so far. Like, the scripts are tighter. The scripts are so much better we are like more settled into actually like making the show. So we've been able to like, just be more in control of the creative decisions that are made. And that, and when I say we, I mean, you know, me, the, my DP, my production designer, my costume designer, I have four writers that I work with. And so because we've done a season already, like as a group of people, we were able to come back for season two and I was able to really communicate like, Hey, this is what I want us to do for season two. And then we were all able to, to figure out how to do it. And that's what I'm the most happy and like proud about. I can't wait for people to see the second season. Awesome. So if you could kind of wrap it out here, um, if people wanted to watch the web series and then also support season two, how could they do that? So everything can be done on our website, which is HermioneSeries.com. Um, and if you go to HermioneSeries.com, we have the episodes there. Uh, you can go to HermioneSeries.com forward slash episodes to watch the, the episodes we already have. We'll be updating that with season two. And then also, if you want to support the show, you can go to HermioneSeries.com slash donate. But I also just lost a Patreon for my production company, which is Sunshine Moxie Entertainment. And Sunshine Moxie is very specifically meant to um, to, to showcase work by, for, and about black women. Um and, you know, maybe I'll be the first studio to, to sort of have to be set up that way. But but that's my vision is to to be able to tell stories of black women across the diaspora. And to me, when you tell the stories of black women, just like how I do with Hermione, like 
that includes so many other people, but like having black women at the forefront of the stories. And I have a Patreon for that, which is patreon.com slash Sunshine Moxie. And then, of course, it's ongoing support for like projects outside of this one, some other digital projects that I'm going to be doing later in the year when this wraps. So, so that's the way I think to support both the current show and also the mission of putting black women at the forefront of, of cinematic stories. That sounds great. All right, it's Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, and I've been talking with the creator, director of Hermione Granger and the Quarter Life Crisis, Eliana Amara Yezriel. Eliana, I just want to thank you again for coming on Picture Lock. Um, the one last thing I'll say is, are there any social media handles that people should know for following the web series? Yes, um, we're at Hermione Series on all social media. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and also HermioneSeries.tumblr.com on Tumblr. And I'm the same. I'm at Eliana Direct on all social media. And then Sunshine Moxie is at Sunshine Moxie. Again, on all social media. I like to be consistent. <laughs> That's how you got to do it. Eliana Amara <laughs> Israel, thanks so much for coming on Picture Lot. Thank you for having me. I'm the Dick Film Guy, Justin. And I'm Epic Film Guy Nick. And you're listening to Picture Lock. Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. And my next guest is a self-described renaissance geek with an MA from John Hopkins University. He's an active NC Film Critics Association member. He runs and has founded the site Elements of Madness, which you can find at elementsofmadness.com. His name is Douglas Davidson. Douglas, welcome to Picture Lock. Thank you for having me. It's, it's, it's an honor and a pleasure. <laughs> no, sir, it is my pleasure. I'm excited to geek out with another film geek. But the first question I always start out with is, when did you first fall in love with film? Well, for the furthest back I can remember, my family, my mom's side of the family, went to Destin, Florida to do these family reunions every summer and they've been doing them even still can't always get to them. But when I went as a little kid, we would spend our nights watching movies. We would watch back to future one, back to future two. When we would hang out during the day, we had this hospitality suite so that everybody had one place that they could gather. Everybody would be cooking food and sort of hanging out. And I remember watching Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory and as a little kid, I just remember hanging out with everybody, watching these movies. People were coming in and out during the day and just talking about what was going on. And it was just this big communal experience. And that just sort of locked in for me. Not to mention the fact that my family as well, my two brothers and, and my parents, we love watching movies. So while my first memory is destined from there growing up, that's what we did. We, we watched tons of movies, movies that I probably shouldn't have seen. But if my older brothers could watch them, I was allowed to watch them, which is probably why I saw The Terminator at the ripe old age of eight years old. If my <laughs> brothers could watch it, so could I. And that just became a thing where, well, what are my brothers doing? What are my brothers watching? And we would always talk about them. And so for me, that's, that's, that was sort of my gateway is just realizing that Cinema was something that didn't just entertain, but it was a way for my family to come together and share. Nice. That's sort of how I snuck on in. Yeah, you know, um, it, it never ceases to amaze me. Like, everyone has uh, that familial story in terms of growing up, watching movies with your family. And I think that 
um, that when I think back in terms of like I can't narrow it down to a specific time, but I know it's always like the family moments. Like one of the biggest things that I remember coming out of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is kicking my dad in the knee and hurting him on accident, <laughs> but I was so fired up, you know? Um, but again, it goes back to like family and those memories and you can anchor it with one of those films. One question I did have is like, what's the age difference between you and your brothers? Well, uh, I, we're, we average two years. Uh, by the time I have my birthday, we're exactly two years apart. So my Middle brother is about to turn 40, and my eldest brother is uh, 42. Yeah, yeah, because our children are two. So he's 42, um, oh. or about to be anyway. So, yeah, we're, we're pretty close in age. So there was a lot of stuff that, that we were interested in, even though our genre preferences skewed very, very differently. My middle brother, for example, he had the job I always wanted, which was to work in a film store. And so he would be bringing home VHS tapes <laughs> all the time because he could rent them for free. And sometimes he'd get preview copies of movies that hadn't hit the shelf yet. But he always watched horror films. And I could not do um, uh, any of that stuff. Just there's something about it that creeped me out. I have a very vivid imagination. But it's because of that that I got into Army of Darkness, which if you can watch Army of Darkness from Sam Raimi, you can watch Evil Dead 2, and if you can watch Evil Dead 2, then you can handle Evil Dead 1. So I sort of got into the horror genre in reverse from the most ridiculous to the most straightforward. And whereas my eldest brother, he's a big kid. He's a huge kid. I mean, he, he teaches fourth grade, and he has an engineer's mind, and so he's always building and playing. And so Lewis would watch these sort of lighter weight stuff, and then my middle brother, Michael, would watch this darker stuff, and then there was I in the middle just trying to watch anything I could get my hands on that wasn't too far in one extreme or another. Yeah, and I, great. I find that fascinating because that obviously shaped who you became as uh, a film critic. So if we can, mm -hmm. just kind of like piggybacking off of that, I'd love to get the backstory. Sure. Like, how did you get into uh, the industry? Well, it's <laughs> it's... I'll try and make it brief because it's a winding road. I've lived many lives. <laughs> and when I, was in, when I was in undergrad at UNC Asheville, I started off as an English major because I wanted to teach English. I loved reading. and I still love reading. Don't get much time to do it these days. Have a kid. But loved reading and loved discussing it. And as I was going through my freshman year, I realized I didn't love this as much as I thought and realized that there were some classes in, in film study in the communications department so I went in that direction. And through those courses, I was still doing sort of the English side of it with the oral interpretation of literature. But then I got into classes that were focused on cinema itself, looking at the technical aspects of it, getting a sense of the technical side of things where you actually had to make movies. And let me tell you something. I can tell you what looks good in a movie. Do not put me behind the camera. <laughs> not a good idea. Editing, no problem. Loved editing. Loved matching up, cutting scenes and laying down tracks for the score. All that stuff was great. You don't want me behind the camera. But, you know, I, so I, I did that and I studied that in undergrad. But when I left, I ended up in radio. And I was working promotions. I was in national sales. But I was still, whether I was in promotions or national sales, I was still involved in the cinema side of things. We'd have 
street teams that would go out to do sneak previews. So when I was in promotions, I was the guy that did virtually all of them. I worked the crowd. I did the trivia. I watched the movies. I loved it. And being able to talk to people afterwards as they were coming out of the theater. And then when I was in national sales, I did a lot of that promotional stuff and put together contests that I knew would hit the audience for the people that were going to see it. So cut to grad school and that's what I studied. The program that I wanted to get into at Johns Hopkins that I signed up to go to, they shut down right when I got there. So I wasn't allowed to take those, but I could create my own major where I analyzed not only digital technology, but I sort of looked at the intersection of story, cinema, and technology. Even did a paper on the Dark Knight viral campaign where they had people around the globe running around and interacting. But then you graduate and what do you do next? Well, I, as I found myself jumping from contract gig to contract gig, I found one thing that kept myself sane, watching movies and writing. So on and off, starting around 2012, I took a website that I created for grad school, Elements of Madness, and turned it into someplace where I could write. And so every now and then, I'd go see a movie and then I'd write about it. And... I'd go see a movie and I'd write about it. But then in 2014, as I was scrolling through Twitter, I saw a message from a local to Charlotte organization called Culture, great organization. And the guy behind it, uh, Cameron Lee, he was looking for someone to review film. I was looking for something to keep me busy. And this seemed like a great opportunity to try and put into action what I've been doing on the side. And so I got in touch with Cameron and, he let me try out a few reviews, and then I've been writing for him since then. So 2018, so this summer will be the start. It'll be the end of my fourth year writing for Culture. And while I did that, I started writing more frequently for myself. And now I'm writing for four publications, uh, at least contributing to a total of four publications. Uh, member of the North Carolina Film Critics Association, which is a dream come true. Never imagined that, you know, little me in Destin, Florida, hanging out with my family would one day be doing this and doing it as a professional. And it's it's fantastic. Can't imagine doing anything else. It's Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the founder of Elements of Madness, Douglas Davison. Douglas, uh, I love your story because I can totally relate to life just <laughs> takes you on this journey. You pick up all these different yeah. hats. But you know what? Film, at the end of the day, is the one thing that you can come back to. And um, it's definitely, obviously, you're doing well with it. So if you could, let's talk yeah. a little bit about Elements of Madness. Um, you know, one thing yeah. that I love about um, your site is that, you know, you have the reviews for things that are up that's in theaters now, streaming. But then you also have other aspects of it, like on tap, if you could talk about that. But then... Uh, you know, what's on DVD, Blu-ray. So really, it's kind of a one-stop shop for people that are trying to figure out, hmm, what movie should I watch? Absolutely. And and that's the idea of it, uh, realizing that I'm I'm only one person doing this. I can't see everything. I can't review everything. But I did know that I wanted to see as much as possible. So when you go to the website, you'll, you've got reviews, you've got recommendations, you've got uh, short, short, hand place to go to for the various publications I'm a part of uh, so that you can sort of either get redirected or, or what have you. But 
movies aren't just seen in theaters anymore. They're also at home. So the on tap portion of it is for anything that might be streaming. And the recommendation area, it might be a regular review, like when Kodachrome came out from Netflix uh, last month. Phenomenal movie, one of my favorite films of the year. Highly recommend if you haven't seen it. Um, but not everybody is going to know what to see when you go to whatever streaming service it is. Now, I watch a lot of stuff on, on Netflix, but that's not the only place that you're going to find stuff. HBO streams. You've got Showtime, Cinemax, Hulu, all kinds of providers, creators, Shutter even. And so I wanted to create an easy way for people that if they were looking for something that's not in theaters to have a place to go to. But similarly speaking, there's so many movies coming out. A lot of folks, you go to Netflix and the big joke is you scroll for 50 minutes looking for a movie you want to watch. <laughs> yeah, And then you go true. to the TV show you've seen a million times. Right. <laughs> so the idea of this is to give people an idea. Here's stuff that's out, but also here's what's coming to you. And while that coming soon section does focus on the theater, that's to sort of help people get a sense of, all right, so we're getting to the summer. That means Avengers Infinity War. That means Deadpool 2. That means Solo, a Star Wars story. But those aren't the only three films that are coming out right now. There's so many other films to go see. And what I try to do is create a place where people can get an idea of, you know what, I'm really not interested in seeing, you know, the latest comic book movie. So what else might be coming out? Oh, there's Bad Samaritan, which features David Tennant and Robert Sheehan by Dean Devlin. I know Dean Devlin. He did the Leverage series and the Librarian. I want to, I love Doctor Who. Sure, let's go check that out. And from what I understand, it's just raking it in. You've got Terminal, which is a movie with Marco Robbie, Simon Pegg, and Mike Myers a movie most people aren't going to hear about, but it's absolutely worth your time. Ghost Stories, a movie screening, screening from IFC Midnight. There's a movie coming out later this month through IFC Midnight, Feral, actually co-written by a local Charlotte uh, critic, Adam Frazier. These are movies that people wouldn't know about because they're coming at you from everywhere. So what I try to provide is the opportunity not only to get reviews on the latest films in theaters, but also content that they just may not be aware of. So that's the whole idea of Elements of Madness. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I, so I, I take it you didn't get to see Bad Samaritan, because for a second I thought we were going to be able to talk about it. Because I went... Oh, I wish. Ah, uh, yeah. I, I, went, I went and I saw it, and ah, uh, man, I got to say, like, because... Okay, so uh, this is like, we're going to go side note. This doesn't really matter. But Legion M, I don't know if you heard about it. It's like the, um, mm -hmm. yeah, so. Loved Colossal. Right. Loved Colossal. <laughs> exactly. So for those that are listening, you know, there's this organization where um, a bunch of film fans all kind of put their money into backing the organization and they help to create these different films. So that's kind of how I knew about, you know, Bad Samaritan coming out. And it was one of those things where, in my personal opinion, it's like genius premise, uh, the execution. It's like right after we get a little bit past the whole premise, then for me, it kind of. Uh, but anyways, uh, we'll have to save that for, <laughs> for another discussion. I've just been itching to talk about it and I like didn't have enough time to to do um, a proper review. But um, all right. So back to you. And but that but that's the key thing, though, is not everybody knows about Legion M. Not everybody knows about Bad Samaritan. 
Right. And that's, that's the, for me, the beauty of film criticism and the idea of what we're supposed to be doing. We are that line between the audience and the studios, if that makes any sense. We are, we are supposed to be thinking about it in terms of what, what works for a movie, what films are coming out, what's going on, what people should see, what people shouldn't see. And sometimes as a film critic, it's going, hey, here's a movie you've never heard of. Good, bad, or indifferent, here's a movie you've never heard of. And that's just going back to your original question. It's, it's why there's so many options. And there's not that many options on the website but why you can look at it in terms of what's streaming, what's on tap, what's coming out on DVD or, or Blu-ray, what's coming soon to theaters is just to try and help people go, wait, David Tennant did a horror movie? Wait, what? Right. And they wouldn't know. If they're not familiar with Legion M, they might have no idea. So this is a great opportunity for them. Exactly. And I think that's what I love about film criticism as well is just in terms of like like we – as as you said, uh, we just love uh, film, and so like we're super ingrained into it. And I know for me personally, growing up, like I used to collect baseball cards because all boys seem to do that. Um, but like <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you the stats. I just did it because like that's what everybody else did, and we traded whatever. But like what I really loved doing was you know collecting comic book cards and then going to see movies. Uh, so I totally, oh, yeah. I totally feel you. Uh, once again, folks, you're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the founder of Elements of Madness, Douglas Davidson. And Douglas, uh, just we got to unfortunately kind of wrap things up here. But one thing I did want to talk, talk about is the fact that, you know, I think as critics these days, um, you know, we have to really adapt because there's so many different ways to get your message out. Um, and whether mm-hmm. that's with, you know, your online website, writing for, um, you know, as you do with culture, um, or if it's a podcast, radio, YouTube, all that kind of good stuff. And you also um, are a part of a podcast. If you want it, go ahead and kind of let folks know about the podcast that um, you, you're on. Well, I was uh, invited to join back in December. It's, it's, if y'all haven't heard of the Paprika Podcast Network, I highly recommend checking them out. It's run by a guy named Seed, and he is, he is a just big thinker when it comes to pop culture. But it's not just uh, creating a space for people to listen to content. He also has created a space on Facebook where people can get together and share information, share, discuss content, that it's not just about going, hey, here's a neat thing I saw, but also having a way of going back and forth, discussing it, arguing about it, keeping everything civil. And this network creates content for people like that, whether it's creating their own commentary for the Marvel films that have been coming out, or it's creating special places to discuss very narrow content like trade paperbacks and graphic novels for comics or any number of novels or other things. And the podcast I take part in is called the round table. And due to unfortunately life, we haven't been able to record as frequently as we'd like to, but it's myself seed, uh, gentleman named Rick, another one named Eric. And it's the four of us getting together to discuss what is hot and popular in popular culture, but also what is significant? What is what is going on that people need to know about? 
And as a film critic, as you said, there's so many different ways for people to get information. So whether it's writing for Pretty Vacant One, Culture, contributing to FilmFed or my own website, Elements of Madness, or even being part of the roundtable for Paprika, it's, there's so many different people to talk to and so many different perspectives that as a film critic, the best thing you can do is keep producing, put yourselves out there and, you know, recognize that you're not going to be to everybody's taste. And that's <laughs> another reason why you need to create in so many different venues, as you pointed out. Right. Most definitely. All right, Douglas. So if you could um, just let folks know how they can follow your work uh, on the website as well as social media. Well, uh, you can go straight to the source, elementsofmadness.com. Uh, if you're on Facebook and you want to uh, track me down there, EOM Reviews, uh, that's a place I post not only my, the reviews that I write, but I also try to provide trailers of upcoming films. This way you can track that down. I can be found on Instagram and Twitter under Elements of Madness, but it's E-L-M-N-T-S of Madness. So there's... I try to share trailers, I try to share content, and particularly in the social networks, I also will provide reviews that other critics have written that have really good insight and really good ideas, even if I disagree with them, because the best part of film criticism is recognizing my voice isn't the only voice. And that's something that we definitely need more of, because there's so many different perspectives, it's great. You're absolutely right. And that when you can go head to head with somebody that stands their ground and says, no, I think you're wrong and go back and forth and have that friendly debate. That's what I love about a good old film argument. <laughs> we can walk away yeah. and, and agree to disagree. But, you know, that's what's that's what's so fun about uh, breaking down the art of film. Agreed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, it's Picture Lock. I've been talking with the founder of Elements of Madness, Douglas Davidson. Douglas, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. It, again, my absolute pre pleasure. Thank you for having me. And that's all for this episode. I'd like to thank my guests, BB Nguyen, Eliana Amira Yisrael, and Douglas Davidson for coming on the show. Be sure to catch up on the back episodes of the podcast and subscribe in iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Blueberry, wherever you catch your podcast. If you're a fan of Alexa skills, just say, Alexa, play Picture Lock and tune in, and I'll come right up. Feel free to leave a five-star review of the show as well. It's always appreciated. You can find Picture Lock on most social media. All social media is at Picture Lock Show. Watch back episodes of the TV show at youtube.com slash show and subscribe to it to get some incredible value and see interviews with filmmakers and the like. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can fill out the form on the website. Now, did this episode resonate with you? What's your favorite Picture Lock episode so far this year? Did you binge Hermione Granger and the Quarter Life Crisis? These are all the questions I need answers to. Send me an email and let me know at picturelockshow at gmail.com. All music is done by Mike S. The Prophet 13. Thanks, bro. I'm Kevin Sampson. And until next time, I hope you stay locked on film.